0: Hello, America, and happy Friday. Yes, we made it to Friday. Doesn't seem possible, but we sure did. And I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in this week, reading at Justin News. We've had just some extraordinary traffic at Justinnews.com and of course on the Justin News mobile apps and the iOS Apple store and in the Android store. We've got a great show for you. My amazing colleague and one of the newest reporters at Justin News, Nick Jeeves, is here. He's the guy that broke that incredible story last week about the U.S. government developing artificial intelligence to censor Americans' opinions on things like election integrity and vaccine safety. He's got Father Frank Pavone waiting for you. I'm so glad. I'm proud of his work and like you to get to know Nick Jeeves. We're going to get started right after these commercial messages. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower Thanks to our good friends at BrickHouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home,
1: isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
2: Howdy, folks. We're back from a commercial break. As promised, we have an interview here with Father Frank Pavone and Janet Morana of Priests for Life, and we're going to get into some issues on the Catholic Church, the abortion issue, and a lot of other good stuff. So here to join us now, Frank Pavone and Janet, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure.
2: Good to see you, Nick. Always a pleasure to talk to you both. Now, it's Interesting issue now. I'm a Catholic and uh, the host of the show I'm subbing in for here, John Solomon, also Catholic. Uh, You two obviously Catholics. And it seems as if there's this politicization in the church now where issues that were once reserved for, say, even the classroom or the political science lab have now been dragged in front and center, sometimes even at the parish level. Have you noticed this tilt in the church over the last few years?
3: Yes, we've noticed it, and we've had to battle against it. As the largest ministry in the church dealing with the very volatile issue of abortion, uh, we have seen uh, the pushback, the politicization of the church. And uh, interestingly, uh, Nick, those who politicize the church on the inside are, are often the same people who are always complaining about politics getting into the church, and yet they're the worst uh, practitioners of it. Look, the bottom line solution to this is, is really very simple. The church is the body of Christ, and we get renewed as a church. Uh, in fact, we can say we survive as a church only when the focus of each and every member and each and every leader is Jesus Christ Christ. And our relationship with him, that is the bottom line, of course Janet here our our my close associate, our executive director, um, uh, has a, a, her story of coming back to the church and I think Janet, you discovered what I just said in a, in a very real way
1: well, sure, because you know i i 'm a child of the sixties, basically, uh, and that 's when I went away from the church. Why <clears throat> poor catechesis you know, the, it was post-Vatican II, the whole church was changing, they smashed the altar around, spun the, <laughs> spun the altar around, in came the, the guitars and tambourines. out went the incense and the organ music, and it was such a radical change, and at the same time, you know, culturally here, it was, you know, um, women's lib, and birth control, and all this stuff, and I just started to say, like, mm, this doesn't make sense anymore, I went away from the church for about 20 years, so uh, Father Bone, who was ordained by Cardinal O'Connor came to my parish, started preaching. And, you know, I just had this moment where I said, all right, let me see what this young priest has to say. And I went down my list. I don't believe in the infallibility of the Pope. I think women should have a right to birth. control. And I went, la, 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 la. Of course, he didn't jump down and choke me or anything. He said, well, you're an intelligent woman. You're a teacher. Um, it sounds like you like to read a lot. He said, yeah. He said, are you willing to read and study? I said, well, sure I am. I said, because, you know, I don't understand the church's teachings anymore. I really don't. And I'm not going to give you the answers that I know you want to hear because I don't believe them in my heart. You know what I mean? My head can say, oh, that's what they're saying, but I don't believe it. So he said, all right, you want to study? I said, yes, I'll study. So he said, all right, you're going to come every Friday to my Bible study class. And then after class, we'll do a half hour spiritual direction. So my first time spiritual direction, he said, okay, you ready? I said, yeah. Okay, we're going to start the monovite. I guess he's thinking, it her hard. Get her on her, you know, to accept the monovite, and the rest will be easy. But I wasn't an easy sell. It took me three months of Bible classes and spiritual direction until I finally, you know, took care of all my questions. I felt like I really was hungry now to really embrace the teachings of the church. And so uh, three months later, Father heard my, my confession and uh, gave me communion right on the spot there. He, you know, it was a Saturday uh, night after, you know, they did confessions in my church, besides during the the day at 12 o'clock after the vigil mass. After the vigil mass, he told me, you know, just get on the end of of the line and you're ready for confession now, so you'll do it. And I did it, and and I, I said, oh, great, now I can go to mass tomorrow and receive communion. He says, no, you don't have to wait. Go kneel up by the tabernacle. I went, what?
2: And you're still on the front lines, right? You're working in to educate people now about the church and about the catechism and specifically the, the pro-life arena. Why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit about that connection?
1: That was my journey, Nick. And so I, I've been back <laughs> all these years, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving the church ever again. <laughs> but what it did was it gave me a thirst to learn more. So the next thing I did, the following summer, Father taught a master's class from St. Joseph's Seminary locally on Staten Island. I took that class. I got an A2. um, And I just wanted to keep doing more and learning more. And it was just a real eye-opening to say, oh, my goodness. You know, I was raised on that Baltimore catechism, you know, question, answer, question, answer. And now I really understood the teachings of the church. And it wasn't just a bunch of rules. You can't do this and you can't do that. It was really an understanding of, and also to the other thing he taught me was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's missing today among a lot of our young people, mm-hmm. and also my age who went away from the church. Because, you know, very often they'll say, oh, I didn't like that priest and his homily, and I didn't like this. You're there not because of the priest. You're there for the sacraments. You're there for Jesus and your relationship with with the Lord. So I think That also opened my eyes, too, that I'm there, you know, to have a relationship with our Lord.
2: You raise a great point. I'd like to get um, either of your perspectives on this. Some people do complain about the priest or the vicar, whoever it is that's delivering the message. And i got to say, I fall into that human trap as well, where if the homily doesn't move me, it's a little more difficult for me to connect with Jesus. So what can lay people within the church and even Christianity as a whole do When they're running into these unholy priests or these leaders that are corrupt or these people that really maybe are wearing a collar or vestments, but are devoid of God.
3: Well, one thing is not to be afraid to to move uh, to a different uh, parish where you are getting spiritually fed. Uh, Secondly, you know, is, of course, not to be disturbed. You know, if we hear a priest say something that sounds off or a bishop or sometimes even the pope, um, it's okay. Uh, to be unsure of what the clergy said when they made some statement. It's never necessary to be unsure about what the faith says. There are six little words that I recommend people remember whenever they're, they're finding trouble with things they're hearing in the church, and those words are, what the church has always taught. That's what we have to focus on. Uh, it's not so much what uh, the, the priest today is going to say in his message or what even the Pope is going to say. What the Church has always taught, that's the teaching we're receiving from Christ and the apostles, and that's what nourishes us. Uh, and we shouldn't be afraid, too, to challenge those in the pulpit. They're accountable to God. They're also accountable to us. We have a right. It's not, it's not a privilege. It's uh, a It's a right to the fullness of the teaching of the gospel in the church when we sit in those pews. They have a duty in justice to give us the fullness of the faith clear in a clear and compassionate way.
1: Uh, and, you know, uh, Nick, you, you touched on before about uh, abortion like being uh, so political. And and the problem is that, and I know this from the women who've had abortions, who've, who've come through healing with mm-hmm. silent no more, they have said, I never heard it in the church. I wish I had heard it in the church. Yes, uh, you know that abortion was wrong. So you know these, the clergy, their silence is driving more people to abortion because they're not hearing they shouldn't do it. And the other thing that they're not doing, you know, okay, you don't want to, you want to say abortion is wrong, but why don't you talk about the forgiveness that's available? Because mm-hmm. again, there are so many people out there. You know, if the millions and sixty-sixty-four and a half million. A uh, baby's dead from abortion. Look at all the moms and dads, throughout, and the grandparents that are suffering. And if you don't say a word about, you know, if if you've had, you can even soft it up a little bit if you want to say, have you suffered a pregnancy loss? You know, mm-hmm. that and maybe an abortion that there's healing available. And come and talk to me. I'll never forget one time Father Frank and I were out in Seattle, Washington, and Father Frank preached uh, at this parish, all the masses. And after each mass, before the final blessing, the pastor got up, mm. and his name was Frank, too, remember that? <laughs> and and he said, you've heard this beautiful message today, and I want my people to know, if anyone here is hurting from an abortion, please, would you come and talk to me? Oh, wow. Please call, come and make an appointment. Come and talk to me. And he told us after the fact that he was so
3: busy. <laughs> He's a bishop now, by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Look at that! But you know, he learned by example. You know, like, oh my goodness, look, the the collection plate didn't empty out. There was the same amount donated, if not more, and the people coming out of church were thanking this Father Frank and telling the other Father Frank, "Oh, that was a great, great, great family." Yeah, yeah. You know, he so took the initiative.
2: Silence, is what you're saying? The
1: silence helps the women. It keeps them locked. And thinking it's the unforgivable sin.
2: And it's, it seems like men like that, that these priests, you know, good, good, bad, or indifferent, they have to follow the example. And in the church, uh, the example is, it starts at the top with the Pope Francis. And we were talking earlier before the show. I know we weren't going to you know, mainly focus on Francis, but I went to a Jesuit school. I went to college. I went to Fairfield University. So I know the doctrine of what this order preaches. And we're talking about all these results. And a lot of them seemingly happened after Francis took over. Now, Having said that, it seems as if the Jesuits are pushing what's called social justice, which to me is code for if you're not socially liberal or you can't claim some sort of oppression, you're part of the problem. But if you're aggrieved, for any reason, you're put on this pedestal and your wrongdoings are never questioned. That, to me, seems to cause a division, does it not, between these priests deciding between speaking up and saying the truth or obedience, which is one of the vows So how can the few priests that are still going strong, and how can the lay people support the good ones, and how can the good ones speak up without disobeying the church and then breaking their vows?
3: Well, first of all, the obedience that uh, priests owe to their superiors in the church— is only for the purpose of advancing the mission. Uh, if we're ever told to do something that uh, is contrary to the Gospel, to say something that is contrary, or to refrain from saying what is consistent with it, uh, uh, that order loses its, its validity. I mean the, the, the obedience is for the purpose of not just doing somebody else's whim uh, but doing the will of Christ. Uh, one of the things, uh, the, one of the solutions here, uh, and and this is really part of the legacy of, of Pope Benedict, Pope Pope Emeritus Benedict, who just passed away, is the movements in the church. Uh, he he taught so well about the role of movements, and the way to understand this is the church is is constituted with gifts of the Holy Spirit. The hierarchy is is uh, one of those gifts. Uh, another set of gifts are the charisms. You know, God will raise up uh, different communities and movements within the church. Really, the the pro-life movement is one of the, an example of this that focuses on one or another aspect of the gospel and inspires people as they rally around that one particular way of service. It's in the movements that we see a lot of the renewal, and that we see, Nick. Here's the here's the dynamic. That people who may be in parishes that are, they're literally suffering in the institutional uh, parish because of these kinds of priests you just described, but they're coming uh, together across parish lines in these movements, and the movements are really what's sustaining them in their faith. And movements also include media movements. I mean, we see what EWTN has done over the decades since Mother Angelica established it, and Janet and I both are very uh, involved
2: with that particular network. gold standard, the gold standard. And uh, I remember growing up watching it, and I shared with both of you that my grandmother, she had 12 kids, she was a nurse, and after her husband passed away a few years later, she became a Carmelite nun. She passed away about a year ago. And I remember her telling me, she said, Nicholas, it's going to look like the church has faded and that it's receded. And it's looking that way now, at least in the Northeast, what I can speak to, it's it's some empty masses compared to what it used to be. But she said it's going to come roaring back. So I have kind of a two-part question that and either of you please j- jump in and grab it. One, do you see the lay people taking a bigger role because of the pre-shortage, be it as deacons, be it giving marriage uh, powers to priests or allowing you know, married men to become priests, And do you think this Roe reversal, the reversal of Roe v. Wade, is that possibly the catalyst that my grandma and some other old school Catholics were speaking of when they said that the pendulum was going to swing back?
1: Well, I mean, one way I think the pendulum is swinging back a little bit is look at the religious orders. For example, you know, when I was a girl growing up, nuns had full habits, and then we got Post Vatican II, and then we had Sister Susie Sunshine. They they changed their names, uh, and they were wearing business suits and, and earrings and makeup, and it was crazy. And so now, if you notice, those orders that threw aside their habits are are closing. They're they're falling apart. And look at the orders. That have full habits on the sisters, they're blossoming, right? And so, what you look at is there seems to be a hunger to, for that pendulum is coming back to that tradition of a sister should look like a sister, you know? It, you know, wouldn't you say, Father?
3: Yes. Uh, well, and you know, what's also going to bring this about is, is one, one simple word, and it's part of Jesus' promises persecution persecution is going to be what leads to the revival that we need in the church. And we see, we are clearly on the track. I mean, our ministry itself, Janet and I, were, 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 were petitioners at the, at the U.S. Supreme Court a few years ago under the Obama administration. Uh, when uh, they imposed this HHS mandate, we were one of the very first groups the launch of federal lawsuit against it, which ended up in the Supreme Court and ended up, thanks to the election of President Trump, uh, in victory for us and freedom from that oppressive mandate, which was trying to get us to include some forms of abortion in our health insurance plans for our employees. The bottom line is that's just one, uh, one symptom of multiple forms of persecution. And unfortunately, we have a major political party, the Democrat Party, which looks at what we would call religious freedom as discrimination. And they literally call it that. Well, when you have a major political party uh, looking at religious freedom as discrimination, you are on the road to persecution. And when people see when it hits close enough to home that they can't go to mass because their priest is in jail, I think this is what's going to lead to the uh, the revival.
2: Yeah. In that, I want to ask a question off that. How should Catholics and Christians respond to said persecution? Because in the Bible, to emulate Christ, sure, a peaceful way, and, you know, to know they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But there was also a moment where Jesus, you know, flipped tables over and said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. So where, what is the appropriate response to such persecution when we're trying so hard to emulate that peacefulness of Christ, but at the same time, not be steamrolled and, and have our faith destroyed?
3: Right. Well, the peacefulness is expressed uh, interiorly. We always keep our soul at peace we trust in the providence of God. It's expressed externally in the sense that we do not hate people and we do not use violence. However, we have to take that other dimension, as you mentioned, of Jesus' ministry and of the teaching of the apostles and the rest of the New Testament, where we we see the imagery of spiritual warfare and uh, you know fighting the good fight and being alert to the devil who's always on the prowl and standing up and always having a word uh, of explanation for your faith. I mean, there's many, many themes in Scripture that tell us we have to go to war, we have to fight vigorously, and uh, that is essential. That's the only way that you're going to be able to deal with uh, the persecution. Uh, that fighting vigorously, though, leads us to be willing to be martyrs, and and that's where, again, that, that example of Jesus, he obediently accepted even death, death on the cross. Well, we fight, and the fighting consists in we will never betray the Lord. Sometimes that means we have to end up losing our lives in the process or our freedom you know because we 're imprisoned um, and and so it is it is a, a a beautiful combination of those different dynamics that you just pointed out
2: over the years in your work have uh, either of you ever found a way to release from the earthly and fully absorb the spiritual? Because it seems like everything we do is connected to something earthly, whether it be our physical pain, our comfort, our job, our families, our, how, what's the best way that Catholics can disconnect to become that spiritual? Because as you said, our great war is a spiritual war.
3: It is indeed. Uh, Well, Janet, you've seen uh, uh, this in terms of uh, uh, your own, I mean, the life of prayer, uh, wouldn't you say, is, 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 I mean, obviously foundational there. Speak to
2: that, please.
1: You see the uh, adoration chapels just keep springing up all over the country. You know, more and more people that want to seek that peace, that want to have a deeper spiritual life, will make it their business to get to adoration. Uh, My parish just started up a couple months ago. (laughs) We have adoration now. So, you know, I think you've got to make a, a decision on your own to seek uh, a, a, a deeper level of, of spiritual life yourself and uh, stay close to the sacraments. You know, I mean, confession frequently, receiving Jesus as often as you can. In addition to Sunday, if you can now and then schedule permits, get the daily mass, do it. If you can't, that's okay because of your work schedule. But, you know, you got to put that first in your life and daily prayer. You know, <clears throat> one time a priest told me, uh, the busiest person, you can acknowledge the Lord before you even get out of bed. You're laying in bed, you open your eyes and just say, good morning, Jesus. Thank you. You allowed me to open this and be alive today, and then get up and start hustling around. But at least you you've did a little quick prayer, and then hopefully throughout the day, you'll take little moments to pray.
2: It's bizarre sometimes that I find people don't envision Jesus as kind. They're afraid of judgment or wrath. or And yet there are people that exist out there that I've run into, uh, some priests, of course, some lay people. They're so genteel and nice and understanding that it's hard for me to wrap my head around that nobody could put that vision to Christ and realize that, well, if you meet a person that's that forgiving, how forgiving and loving then could Jesus be? In the Bible, is there any verse or any prayer, maybe something from St. Paul, is there anything that you think Catholics and Christians don't know about, it's under the radar, it's a prayer that's not featured in all the movies or is cliche, that both of you would suggest that people read or study for what's going on out there? Because many people see this as a a very chaotic world these days, and, and they need guidance, they need a shepherd. Where should they be looking?
3: You know, uh, Philippians 2 uh, comes to mind. It's the great, it's called the Canonic Hymn, the emptying, the self-emptying of Jesus. It really shows us the path forward. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not need deem equality with God something to be grasped at, or rather emptied himself. We have to empty ourselves. Every vocation, every calling is a calling to this self-emptying, this self-giving. Every vocation is a vocation of love. Spouses have to give themselves to each other and to their children. A priest has to give himself to his congregation. A single person gives him or herself to this community in some form of service. Uh, It's all self-emptying. There's no such thing as a vocation that is not a vocation to love. And, and and this is this is and that is a prayer I would say every day in Philippians two. You see the great it was an early Christian hymn and uh, it's really beautiful because then of course at the end of it it gives the promise you know it, 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 because of this God highly exalted him uh, and and he exalts all of us when we humble ourselves empty ourselves, give ourselves away in love and the issue that Janet and I deal with full time abortion. It can be understood as the exact opposite of love. You know, love says I sacrifice myself for the good of the other person. Abortion says I sacrifice the other person for the good of my. Exactly the opposite of love. Uh, Janet?
1: Well, yeah, and, you know, to go back to the, for a minute, to the women who have had, had abortions, and we know from their testimony, people can go to abortiontestimony.com to read some of them. I mean, <clears throat> Most of these women were pressured by other people to have the abortion. It wasn't like they, you know, woke up and say, oh, I, I don't want to have this baby. A small percentage will, but most of them influences like the boyfriend, the husband, you know, are pressuring them. Either you have the abortion or I'm going to leave you. And in most cases, even after the abortion, they break up anyway. And so, you know, and, and mo- oh, many of these women have gone away from their faith, whatever it was. Uh, to this point that they have that abortion and guess what when they make their way back finally that they, they their lives usually spin of control that it hits rock bottom they reach up they want God back in their lives and so many of these women this is a caution to, to preachers they start they enter the church and they're afraid and they listen to the priest and they try to see is there hope for me. Will he talk about, is this okay? Can can I even approach this priest to talk to him? So they kind of shop around and listen to where they can hear hope and forgiveness. And they take that first step and they'll go to confession and then most priests will recommend them to like a Rachel's Vineyard uh, retreat, which is a ministry that we operate. It's the largest abortion recovery program, not just in the United States, but in the whole world. And, you know, Nick, they all become 100% pro-life, and they come back to their faith, wouldn't you say, Father, father full force. They, they become like super Catholics or whatever their denomination is. They get immersed back in their well, faith. It goes
3: back to his previous question about it. This is, this is one, also one of the, the sources of what will be. A renewal, revival of in the, the church. church.
1: The, more, the more people we heal from abortion, both men, women, and grandparents and other family members, the more people will be a revival back to the church. And that's why they should have a simple thing, abortionforgiveness.com, that website. You put your zip code in, you'll see where the nearest abortion recovery program is in your area. That should be, Nick, on the cover, where the contact information for the parish is on the cover. Hurting from an abortion? There's healing available. Abortionforgiveness.com. That speaks volumes.
2: There's a, they have to know there's support out there. I agree for for any issue, right? This being the, one of the biggest ones, but the church seems so far away uh, from what it used to be as as a community pillar. And I should have one last question, and and for both of you, and then we'll let you go. But so, what is the state of the? pro-life battle now in America I know it's a loaded question but what's the main focus going to be now given that Roe's been overturned that was such a big priority for your group and the whole movement where do you go from here what's and what's the most important thing to focus on in your opinion as you move forward
1: well the first important thing we have to educate everyone what Dobbs said because everyone is very focused right now just on the states yes the states are important But it also is the federal government, Congress. And so in Dobbs, it said they're returning it to the uh, people and their elected representatives, which means state level. So the legislative branch in in the state is important. We have to elect more pro-lifers. But Congress. And here is a startling fact. Imagine in 2024, if we can have a pro life president, if we can take control, uh, back control of the Senate, increase the House, we have the trifecta. In 2025, imagine if we could pass a 15 week gestational ban, which is what Dobbs was, right? Guess what that would do? All those blue states that are killing babies to birth, they'll have to stop at 15 weeks. And all the states that have heartbeat laws or abortion free, their laws will stay in place. Because a supremacy clause only would have the the ban, right, Sonna?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would take precedence over these uh, these these wild uh, policies in the states that are allowing abortion through birth. Uh, and, and together with that, you know, a key priority now after uh, the Dobbs' decision has come down is for everyone to get to know their representatives better. Because since Dobbs returned the issue to the people and their elected representatives – we have to get to know who they are. Many people don't know their state representatives, their state senators, uh, even on the city level. City council. There's a lot of uh, abortion-related decisions can be made at that local level. We've got a lot of work to do, and, and we at Priests for Life are raising up uh, armies of people in each of the states. You know, we're recruiting more and more people that want to say, "Okay, it's time to get the job done." And that's where I want to encourage folks to be in touch with us and 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 let us let us guide you through these uh, next. Steps in the uh, post Roe era, uh, and uh, Nick, our, our source for that is uh, our site is EndAbortion.us. Very simple. That's our mission. EndAbortion.us, and we'll help people to take the steps that now the Dobbs decision has opened up for us.
1: And that's where. Really- working for the 2024 elections. We've started with our election volunteers. So, people listening, you want to get going? Go to prolifevote.com sign up. We have monthly educational Zoom calls. So we can do it, Nick. I'm so encouraged that the tide is going to turn.
2: I think you should be. This is unprecedented, and it's an amazing movement, and, and it's uh, it's great that you come and share with us. And please follow us on Just the News. We're going to be having some regular content from Janet and Father Frank here, and we're going to do some print interviews, maybe some more podcast interviews down the road. But I want to say thank you uh, again to my good friend Father Frank. He's fighting to get his collar restored, his priest collar restored. To my new friend Janet Moreno, both with Priests for Life. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, please look out for a lot more from them in the future. Thanks so much. God bless. God bless. Take care. God bless you.
0: and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, Join now at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us forward justnews. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join us today. Remember, if you want to get our daily headlines, it's like getting a newspaper right in your inbox. Go to justthenews.com newsletter and sign up today. And if you want to get the iPhone or Android app, just go to the iOS Apple Store or the Android Google Play Store and download the Just the News app. That way you can watch, listen, and read our best content day in and day night. We've got you covered 24-7. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike.